Gracious Father, we want to appreciate you so very much again for this morning. We want to thank you who has permitted each and every one of us to be alive and well and to be able to be in this worship. Lord, it is your mercy. Indeed, your word tells us that it is by your mercy that we are not consumed. This morning, Father, you have brought us again to help us. You know our weaknesses. You know our frailties. You know us, Lord. You made us now. There is nothing in us that is hidden before you. Everything about us is open before your eyes. And you decided to bring us, Lord. We are not going to go away the way we came in the name of Jesus. Lord, my prayer is that you will speak to us. Help us, Father. Speak to us. Let us see the spirit of your word this morning. We don't just want to see letter, Father. The letter has nothing to offer. But if your spirit, O oh Lord, will connect with our hearts, something tangible will happen, Lord. All of us are looking up to you. Speak, Father. I'm only an instrument in your hands, Lord. Help each and every one of us. We're all looking together at our gracious and merciful God. And we know in your mercy that you will indeed help us. Because that is what you desire to do. Blessed be your name, Lord, as you speak. In Jesus' name we pray. I thank the Lord who has brought each and every one of us here this morning and given us another opportunity to look into his word. You know, when we are singing the hymn 344, when we got to verse 3, I began to just marvel at the words of that song. It says, Can a woman's tender care cease towards the child she bore? Yes, she may forgetful be. Yet will I remember thee. Because we are wondering, who is it that we are pledging allegiance to? It is the one that says that even if our mothers that bore us, which you know is most unlikely, that if our mothers ever get to the point of forgetting us, that he will never ever forget us. Amen. And verse 4 says, Mine is an unchanging love, higher than the heights above, deeper than the depths beneath, free and faithful, strong as death. I hope you, when you're singing, that we don't just sing, that we actually look at the words of what we're singing. That was the hymn we sang, that his own love is an unfailing love. It's deeper than anything. It's higher than anything. That is the God that chose to make you and I his own. Chose to call us children. Chose to intervene in our lives in the way that he does. It's so critical that we understand who this our God is. Amen. We're looking this morning, by his mercy, at the principles of fighting. The principles of fighting, that's what we're looking at this morning. And I'm trusting that the Lord will help us and show us a few things. We all know what um, um, tithe is. We all know, but let's not assume that we know. A tithe is a, t- is a 10% of of uh, any agricultural produce, that's even the dictionary definition, dictionary recognizes tithe as something that is sacred and kept unto the Lord. It says that a tenth part of agricultural produce or personal income set apart as an offering to God or for works of mercy. That's what our tithe is. So whatever I earn, I'm looking at 10% of it does not in any way belong to me. It belongs solely to God. And when I say income, you know income. Even if I'm passing now, somebody dashes me 5,000. Has it not come into my hand? It qualifies to be income. Now, is it not? Anything that comes to my hand, gives in any way that anything comes into your hand, is income. Because you're going to use it. It's titable. 
So tithing actually, therefore, is the um, the act of paying our tithe. That's what it is when we when we tithe. And then I was just wondering, principles. We use that word every day, but what does it really mean? I was curious to understand again so that I can relate the two. And I saw that is an, an accepted or professed rule of action or conduct. So if we say principle of fighting, we're looking at the accepted rule, something that guides fighting as it were. That's what the principle would be. Several of us know principles of physics, principles of economics, and all of those things. So we should know and understand the word principle and should be able to relate it to, to, um, to Titan. I want us very quickly to look at Deuteronomy 12 and verse 4. If someone is there, you might want to read it for us. Deuteronomy 12 and verse 4. Deuteronomy 12. And verse 4, yes, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way. Thank you very much. To seek, please. But you have to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give. And your free will offerings. Thank you very much. King James says, You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. No, that's NIV. King James says, You shall not do so unto the Lord your God. And verse 8 of it in King James says, You shall not do after all the things that we do here this day. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. That's the verse 8 of Deuteronomy 12. When I'm looking at scripture and I'm seeing words like must not, must do, shall not, shall, I usually realize that God is not joking. That he means exactly what he says. So if he says you must not, that is what God means. And that's why he's saying it like that. So verse 4 says in NIV, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way. That means that there is a way that some people are worshipping God. But God is here speaking to his children. And he's saying, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way. And verse 8 says, you shall not do after all the things. And if you go to King James, the things is italicized in the Bible. And we know of course that italics is really for emphasis. So it is emphasized to draw attention. You shall not do after all the things that we do here this day. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. Again, if is italicized for emphasis. And as I began to look at this, I was wondering. You know, this scripture was towards the tail end of the wandering of the Israelites in the desert. And now they were just going to step into the promised land and this word began to come to them and I'm seeing again that we are standing at a threshold at a critical time when it has become clear to all of us that if we are going to be called the people of God then we can no longer afford to do certain things certain things should no longer be a part of our lifestyle 
We are stepping into an era, indeed, if it's not yet clear to you, when we can't even afford to be very casual anymore. It is the time that the person that calls the name of the Lord will arise and depart from iniquity. It is a time where you make up your mind, I am there or I am here. You can't be in two places. There was going to be a crossing over into the promised land. And God began to speak. He said, you must not. These people, see the way they are worshipping their God. As for you, you must not. And then he went on in verse 8 to say, even this one you are doing now. They are already worshipping God. Even this one you are doing, said this one you are doing now. You shall not do after all the things that we do here. You know, it was not yet um, their promised land. So several things were makeshift, several things were just temporary, and they were just managing and carrying the ark up and down and doing all that. So it was not yet structured properly. But God was ready to overlook all that. And so he said, You shall not do after all the things that we do here this day. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. NIV says, Everyone as he sees fit. Those are very frightening words. When I am a child of God and I live my life the way I like and do what seems right in my own eyes. And actually when I look at the lives of us Christians, that is how we are living. Whichever one you decide by yourself is right, is what you are doing. There is a tendency to take the word of God in, in a manner that looks as if God does not really mean what he says. There is a very less of an attitude towards the word. And so at the beginning of this year, when we came to church and saw living by every word of God. And coincidentally, there is a book that um, we are looking at somewhere that, you know, that has to do with Bible study guide. And the book says, the nature and integrity of the word of God. I just sat down and said, God, you are saying something. We began to realize that. God cannot do anything outside of his word. The only thing that is an instrument that will enable God to accomplish his purpose in your life and in my life is his word. Therefore, it becomes critical to examine what is my attitude to that word of God. Does this come to me and I'm trembling and recognizing that this is the word of God? That this thing is his spirit that is there in the word. That you can actually not divorce God from his word. And for him to have said that this is word. is exalted and honored above all things. God is not joking. No. He is not joking. I was speaking to a, a young person recently. And she was saying to me. Eh, this thing is not the way you are seeing it. It's not, I said look I don't know what you are saying. I don't know who is teaching you this thing so. The word of God says that I should work out my salvation with fear and what? If you don't know what trembling means, maybe I will show you. Trembling. That is what the word of God is expecting from us. A reverence, a deep, deep, deep reverence for his word. That's what he's expecting. So I saw here, like I already said, three things. We must not worship God after their way. So ask God, after whose way are you really worshiping God? And this way we're looking at is all around us. Everywhere around us. We're seeing diverse ways of worshipping God today. So many ways of looking at God's word. And it's the time when we have things like, eh, it depends on the perspective now. 
Eh, it depends on your interpretation. Eh, it depends on how you see. You know, two people can see something from different perspectives. Okay, it's all right. But may that perspective really be God's perspective. That is my prayer for us this day. So, we are living in an era where we cannot afford to go about our businesses as usual. Amen. Let's not forget that our eyes and our hearts may deceive us. That's what I was talking about, perspective. So we need to beg God to help us to see what He wants us to see, and very clearly too. Because when I see with the eyes of flesh, what might look very right to me, might actually be my walking into death. Might actually be my walking into a trap. Very subtle, very hidden, concealed. You may not see it. Let us beg God to cause us to see what he wants us to see. And you may be asking, ah, what is that? Is that thing? We're talking about tithe. What is she talking about? As I began to say, Lord, because with this principle of tithing, what are the principles? What, what is, everyone knows what tithe is. But what are, the, what are some of the things that really, really underscore um, a tithing as it were? Christian tithing. What are the things that score? Three things kept ringing in my heart. Three things. And I'll just share them now. One is love. The second one is obedience. And the third one is trust. Love, obedience, and trust. Love, obedience, and trust. Between the second and the third, I know that the love should come first. But between the second and the third, at the point, I wasn't really sure which one should come first. Um, if I love somebody... I obey them because I trust them. Or I love somebody, I trust them and therefore I obey them. It doesn't really matter. What's important is that these three things came across very clearly as the principles that God wants us to look at for today, for now. In another situation, it may be some other thing, but what I felt very strongly that is wanting us to look at love, obedience, and what? Love, obedience, and what? Forgive me, you know I'm a teacher. I want to be sure that we're going together. Now, tithing actually has to do with acts of worship. When I give my tithe to God, I'm actually worshipping Him. You know sometimes we'll say, um, let us worship God with our tithe and offering. Let us worship God even as we go around and place our offerings here. So it's an act of worship. That's what it is. And as I'm doing that, I'm doing one thing. I'm acknowledging that God is my source. That He's my provider. That all that I actually have belong to him. And he gave them to me in the first instance by his grace. Is that correct? Indeed it is. I was talking to someone a couple of days ago. And that person was describing another person. And said, that person is a self-made man. And I just smiled in my heart. Some people, you know, because they have labored. Maybe they had, um, uh, they had little help from birth. Nobody was helping them. And so they struggled and put themselves through school. Struggled and started a, um, started a business. Struggled and got a job. And eventually became successful. And people will say they are self-made people. But I do know that all of that could only have been because God permitted it. Is it not true? I'm not really sure there's anything as a self-made person in that sense. I'm not saying people shouldn't work out. But I began to think about it. If it is because of labor... None of us here will be more comfortable than those people that push barrow in Obete. Is it not true? Sometimes when you see the stack of things those men have to carry, 
you will see their muscles rippling like this. Say, ah, no wonder they call people to show on the barrow. By the time you finish laboring like that and pushing that, why won't you just be looking for anybody to fight? Initially, I didn't know why they always say in a show on the barrow until I had the opportunity to keep watching them and watching what their life is like. He's carrying load that does not belong to him all from morning till night. His muscles are aching. So if it were by labor, by exertion of labor, they will be the wealthiest people. Is it not true? They will certainly be. Go to Kenya and see people of loading cement. Some even say put two and they are carrying it and running. And some of us, if we are five, I'm not sure we can still lift one up. So at the end of the day, whatever has come into your hand, whatever you consider yours, actually all are in your hands because God gave them to you. And the Bible even says, what do you have that you did not receive? You, you, you just received all of it. It wasn't really your own. So when we want to honor God with our tithe, what are we doing? We are demonstrating a few things. Number one, we are um, um, demonstrating high respect for God. That's what honor really means. Honor. To have very high respect for Him. To demonstrate it. To show that I have high respect for Him. To show high esteem as well. To give Him glory. To accord Him the work that He deserves. To pay tribute and all of that. That's what it means to honor. That's what I do. I want us to look at three people in the scripture. You know, sometimes people tend to think that um, the, the tithe is something that was instituted when Moses was given the law. But I want to show us something. Somebody quickly run to Genesis 4 and verse 3. And you're going to see our brother Abel there. Genesis 4, 3. From message, let me read it from message. It says, Abel also brought an offering, but from the firstborn animals of his herd, choice cuts of meat, God liked Abel and his offering. And the New Living Translation says in that place, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And Amplified says, the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And King James says, the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. Are you seeing that in your Bible? When I saw Abel also, also means there had been something else. So Cain had brought, and then Abel also brought. But there was a difference in what they gave. There was a difference. It was described that Cain brought, um, brought produce, you know, um, his crop. That's what he brought. But when he came to Abel, the Bible had to note and to describe what he brought. So it says, also brought an offering. But from. So he didn't just pick the first one he saw. He didn't just pick anything. There was a selection. He took the best. His heart was bent on giving God the best. We're talking about a heart of love. A heart that desires to give God. And so Abel took and gave, just as his brother Cain had given previously. But God now liked Abel. And of course we know Cain's reaction and all that. And he was angry. But also not God's comment to him. God said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? That was the reaction. That was what God asked Cain when he began to complain and get angry. And God said, if you do well, you would also have been accepted. This was what you gave. 
And I'm just wondering, what was it inside the heart of Abel that caused him to give like that? Let's look at Genesis 14 and verse 20. Genesis 14 and verse 20. I'll read it because of time. In King James it says, I'm just reading a portion of it, it's a longish um, verse. And blessed be the Most High God, which had delivered thy enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithe of all. This was Abraham when he went on a rescue mission and got his brother Lot back. And when he came back, he met Melchizedek, king of Salem, a priest, Bible says, of the Most High God. And something moved in Abraham, and he gave him a tenth of all, all. And I want you to note all. He gave him a tenth of all. I, I don't know what propelled Abraham. I don't know who told him to do that. Something inside of him. Because if we read to the end of that passage, we will know that he didn't want any of the gifts for himself. Do you remember? He said, let it not be said, O king of Sodom, that you are the one that enriched No, 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 no. Take. Only the your people with me will take. I don't want anything. Let it end with the food that my people, my men ate. I don't want anything from you. But he gave tight. Ten of everything that came back from the people that went to, to fight. We are going to look at another one. I hope you know that all these people lived before Moses. Okay? Yes? Yes, they lived before Moses. Jacob. Let's see Jacob in um, Genesis 28 and verse 22. Jacob was praying one prayer like that in those places. But he now said, you know, he was telling God um, some things, if you do this, if you do that, if you do that, if you do that. I read there, Genesis 28. Genesis 28. Please open your Bibles and look at that because we will not be able to read all of it. But what is striking for me there is that Jacob promised God. Can you read the bottom of page um, of verse 22 for us? Genesis 28, the bottom of... And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. He was promising God, I'm going to pay a tithe of everything you give me. But you know, if you read from about verse 18 down, you're going to see that all the things that um, Jacob was asking in that place for God to do to him, you and I have all of them. All of them, not minus one. Are you looking into your Bibles? Are you seeing the things... He was asking for food. He was asking for home. He was asking for journey messages if I go and I come back to this house of God. He actually set up something there. Like, um, like a covenant between him and God. And said if you do all of those things. But as I looked at those verses, I saw that all the things he was asking for. They are already what God has blessed you and I with. All of them. And so, he said if I go and I come back. I'm going to give you... 10%. What are the things there? He said, if you, if, God, if you keep me in the way that I'm going, is God not already keeping us on the way to himself? He is. He said, if you're with us in this way, and he said, if you keep, give me your presence, and I'm saying that for all of us who are children of God, the Lord has already bestowed his presence upon our lives. Is that correct? And then he says, if you bring, he give him food, give him clothes, and bring, bring him back to that destination. And he said, to my father's place. And I am seeing for us that we are on a journey. And we are also on a journey back to our father's place. Are you understand what I am saying? Jacob was going to travel. And he was asking God for those things. 
please be with me. Grant me your presence. We are already on a journey. And I hope you remember that. We are, we are already on a journey. But we are on a journey back to our Father's home. We are hoping we are going to make eternal life. We are going to get back to the kingdom of God. We are going to get to heaven. That's our own destination too. So all of the things that I'm seeing Jacob as there, God has already given us. We are already beneficiaries of all the blessings. So if Jacob now said, if you do all this for me, I will give you tithe. All that he has already done all of them for. Is there any reason why we should hold back our tithe? Not that Abel, Abraham and Jacob all lived hundreds of years before Moses. And I kept wondering, why did they feel compelled to pay the tithe? Why? Why were they propelled or motivated by a heart of love? And I saw there a very clear understanding, a recognition of the place of God in their individual lives. You know, some of these things, some of these um, our, our older brothers did in the scriptures, several of them, some people, some, somebody might not have told them to do. But those things were clearly demonstrations and manifestations of the depth of their appreciation of God's mercy in their own life. But unfortunately, we live in a generation where all we do is want more. We are asking for more. We are asking for more. We are designed to be like other nations. So we actually lose sight of what God is doing in our life. We lose focus of the many, many things that God is doing. So our hearts fail to appreciate. Our hearts fail to recognize. You know, look at that thing we were singing. That even if a mother forgets his or her child, then me, I will not forget you. I will remember you. Why? Because my own kind of love for you is an unfailing love. In the last two weeks, you know, things kept happening. I kept telling myself, Lord, I know that you love me. I have decided to settle it in my heart that you love me. I am not even understanding why you should, but you decided to ever before I was born. And if you should love me, why would my heart not flow out in deep appreciation? In endless appreciation of God's mercy, irrespective of the situation around you, irrespective of the things the enemy will be showing you. Look at this one in your life. Look at that one in your life. None of that, none of that has anything to do with the magnitude of the love of God for us. Amen. So these men, I believe, were all propelled by a heart that recognized God. Imagine what Abraham, Abraham's relationship with God. He got to a point where God called him my friend Abraham. And do you know, because giving to God didn't mean anything to those people. For, to Abraham, for example, that was why when God required his only son, what did Abraham do? He gave. He gave. But 10% of our salary will not give God. Because it is in that 10% that all my needs will be solved. Every other thing that I need will be solved in that 10% that I'm holding back. The one that 90% cannot do, do you sincerely think 10% will accomplish it? I want us to look again at Leviticus 27, verse 30. Leviticus 27. Yes, 30. Yes, please. A tithe from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. 
thank you. You can stop there. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Again, in the King James Version, whether is underlined, it's italicized, is, is italicized, and it is holy unto the Lord, also italicized. So I'm saying that when I choose to take 10% of anything that comes into my hand and appropriate it for my own self, I'm actually having the boldness and the audacity to take what belongs to God, what God has himself called holy. Look at me. Look at me, this person. I will collect it with impunity and I'm doing what I like with it. I want us to understand that. He says anything, 10% of it, is all God. Do you know that in reality we're not even paying our tithes the way we should? How many people collect corn from their, uh, their farm and put and share 10? We don't even bother with those ones. We assume it's just salary or money from business. But for these people, it was everything. And God began to italicize it that whether of this or that or that is the Lord. And the Lord is capitalized there, is the Lord. And then there is a colon. Forgive me, I'm a teacher of language. And then after the colon, it says, it is holy unto the Lord. So if you're here perhaps, and you haven't really understood why you should pay tight, I just want you to know. No point beating about the bush. No point pretending before you. You are taking that which is designated as holy by the Lord, which he has said is his own. Even though he put it into your hand, you are collecting it and doing with it as you will. And you will have him to answer to. Now, there are several other references. I got to that point in Leviticus, so we can be following properly. From Abel to Abraham to Jacob, they all paid tithes. And then when God was going to send his people, to the promised land. We saw him saying that they shouldn't worship him the way these people did. And then this one now, they're already there. And the laws are coming again. And he says very clearly, every 10% of everything should be mine. So several references abound of clear obedience to the matter of tithing with the children of Israel. And we just look at very few and continue to run. Second Chronicles 31 verses 5 to 6. Second Chronicles 31 And as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of corn, wine, and oil, and honey, and of all the increase of the field, and the tithe of all things brought they in abundantly. Did you, did you see that scripture? As soon as the commandment came abroad, and I want us to know that. As soon as the commandment came abroad. I don't know if anybody has any other, any other translation. But the, what I wanted us to know there is as soon. The moment this commandment came. The moment they were instructed again about tithe. These people of Israel and those in Judah. All of them began to give in abundance. The first fruits of grain, vintage fruit, oil, honey, and all the produce of the field, and they brought in abund and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. Praise the Lord. So they didn't waste time. They didn't waste time at all. They brought in tithe of everything the moment they understood. And my, my prayer this morning is that anyone here who hasn't yet understood, the Lord will help you to understand in Jesus' name. 
Now this was also during a period of critical reformation. And Hezekiah was actually carrying out a reformation, you know, that's in this one we, look, we just looked at now. And, and they had somehow shifted away from God as they usually do from time to time. And there was, there was going to be a restructuring and they're coming back to God because the Lord had afflicted them. He had dealt with them very, very well. And they had learned their lessons and wept and cried and all that. You know how they behave, not just like you and I. And God had mercy. And this commandment came. And very quickly, they didn't waste time. They began to do what God said they should do. So that if you read down there, so that the priest could be provided for. I'm trusting that maybe next week we'll be able to see what, hap- what the site is really for. Nehemiah 10 is where I want us to go next. Nehemiah 10. In Nehemiah 10, we we'll see another period of transformation. Very drastic decisions and changes needed to be made. If you start from chapter 9, actually you can spend your time at home reading chapter 9 and chapter 10 of Nehemiah. We all know how Nehemiah arose and went to, to build the, um, their place. One note that many decisions were taken. If you begin to look at the whole of chapter 9, several decisions were taken. It was a very serious moment in the history of the children of Israel. So much so that people who had disobeyed God and married foreign wives were told, separate from your husband, separate from your wife, and they did it. That was the extent of their repentance. They simply obeyed. I don't know if you can imagine what it means to ask you to leave your wife. You were not quarreling, you were not quarreling, you didn't want to get divorced. But, God's people needed to be identified clearly. They needed to stand out and to be enlisted as people of God. Please go back and read that. You will see all the things they are pledging to do. We will not do this. We are going to change the several things they pledge to do. And my, my concern also was um, chapter 9, 1 and 2. If you looked at that, you will see what went on there. There was a need to assemble in sacrament, fasting. They even poured earth upon themselves. They wanted to humble them. They had been rebellious children. They had been disobedient. And the Lord again permitted them to be thoroughly dealt with. So they separated themselves from strangers and stood and began to confess their sins. And by the time you get to verse 3, they went and bought the, the, uh, the book of the law, whatever it looked like at that time, I don't know. And they began to read. And they began to read. And they began to read. When you get to verse 16 and 17, you will see very appropriate description of the extent of the people's rebellion, disobedience and disregard of God's law. I'm talking of Nehemiah chapter 9. You know, if you saw where they were repenting, when you get to verse 16 and 17, you see them mentioning some of the terrible things that they were doing against God, that angered God so much. And even in verse 16 it says, But they and our fathers dealt proudly, and hardened their necks, and hearkened not to thy commandments, and refused to obey, neither were they mindful of thy wonders. God had done incredible things before them, and they simply decided to harden their hearts, to harden, to stiffen their neck, to not listen, to just be rebellious. So they worshipped God, and they repented, and they prayed, and in verse 38, they sealed their prayers with a sure covenant, written and sealed. You can see the names of all the priests, in, verse, um, in chapter 10, if you open to chapter 10, you begin to see a listing of all the people that were putting their signature to that um, agreement that they were having. And um, when you get to verse 28 of chapter 10, I hope you are following me, that I'm not confusing you. Chapter 10, verse 28, it says, 
the rest of the people and all that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the Lord of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. The moment they agreed to separate themselves from all the things happening and gathered and began to confess, worship God, plead with Him, ask Him to forgive them and all that, I saw something there. They had understanding and they had knowledge. You know, we can't make progress in our work with God unless we have understanding. No matter what you're saying to me now, frankly speaking, except I understand what you're saying, I'll just be staring at you. Because there's just no understanding. But at this point they understood. And the extent of the understanding was much. They made tremendous sacrifices. They put away all the things that they knew at that point were causing a major problem between God and themselves. And they decided that armed by God's grace, with this knowledge and understanding, what did they decide to do? They decided to walk in God's law. And then if you look at that scripture, you see something that I like to remember in my head all the time. To observe and do all the commandments of God and all his judgments and all his statutes to observe and do. Do you know if all of us will come to the point of agreeing that we are going to observe and do, our lives will be transformed. If I will just make up my mind, I'm going to observe and I'm going to do all. But I won't. I will ask questions. Eh, come and show me where that thing is in the Bible. That thing you are telling me now. Show me, I want to see it. If you like, call me Thomas, let me see it with my eye, then I'll agree. And my question is, the ones you have seen with your eye, have you finished doing them? The ones you have seen, truthfully, have you finished doing them? While waiting for me to come and show you something very simple from the Bible. Something that could just be a demand, a consecration, just to show a separation. After all, the scripture says, come out from among them and be separate. And I keep saying, any Christian who is not understanding that separation has not started. This is a time when the enemy is wanting to mix us so much with the world that you can't make the distinction. You can't make a distinction between us and the world. And it is a great tragedy because we are not recognizing what is happening. I think it was my brother that was sharing a a week or two ago and he said something that I went to pondering over. All of us are praying and trusting God to deliver us from the hands of the northerners and this and that and that. And somebody began to ask the question, do you even know if it is God's punishment or not? For the lives we are living, for the complacency, for being at ease on Mount Zion, for being indifferent, just asking and asking and asking for breakthrough and miracle and uplifting, that's our concern. Nobody wants to know the mind of God. Nobody wants to know, am I living the life? In my office, have they seen anything in my life to draw them close to God? Is, are they asking me, ah, why is your life so different? It's not our concern. It is triple and double blessings that we're looking for. So, when I went from that day thinking, Lord, could it be? Because all this one I'm talking to you about now, during Hezekiah's time, during Nehemiah's time, it was disobedience, rebellion, that caused God to permit them to be sorely dealt with. And by the time he finished and they cried out, they came back as his children. And quickly, they ran, brought back, did everything they were told to do, said we will observe, we will do. Praise the Lord. So, verse 35 of that chapter 10 says, to bring 
the first fruits of our, of our ground and the first fruits of all of those things they brought. But at the bottom of it, the very last verse in chapter 10, it says, And we will not forsake the house of our God. So now they recognize, because when we get to Malachi that we read during the lesson, we see that God said that there may be meat in my storehouse. There may be provision in the house of God. That's why you're sending the tithe there. And we remember also that the Levites of all the tribes did not have any land apportioned to them. So they couldn't even farm. They even had nowhere to live. They had to cover land for them to live. And God now said in his, in his own sovereignty, in his own wisdom, the rest of you, bring 10% so that these people will have something to eat. Do you think it was too much to ask? Bring 10%. And when this thing failed to be the way God wanted it to be, the Levites began to misbehave. Several of them began to do terrible things. Because sometimes you hear some people say, eh, we are fortunate in this our church you, that we don't belong to that kind of church where the pastor is pursuing you. In fact, there was a time I was in a church before we came here. And every Sunday when it's time to give side, they will ask you to come out and line up. And my heart resented it so much. Because from the time I understood what paying tithe meant, I was paying my tithe. But to come out and announce that I'm paying it, I didn't see why I should do that. And then they will pray for you. I, I didn't like it at all. But you know, they were trying to compel people. That's why they were doing that. Because you know now, if they don't force you, you won't pay. So they want, at least by the time you're not standing there, anytime everybody will now know that you, you, you don't ever come out, so you don't pay tight. And you might get embarrassed to put a little, you might not put 1,000 in the envelope and jump out there, even though it's not your tight. The things that people do, I wonder if they know that, while this, our God is a God of love, He's also a consuming fire. I like to remember that. When I'm shouting about God's love, I just say He's a consuming fire. So at the bottom of that, they said they will not forsake the house of their God. And in Nehemiah 12 verse 44, some people were appointed for specific duties, including to collect the tithe and to gather. In Nehemiah 12 44. And in chapter 13 of Nehemiah still, you will see that Nehemiah now went, because these people had repented, their repentance was genuine. It's not like you, you and I, our kind of repentance, nothing like that. It was genuine. They went and they collected all the tithe and appointed somebody and Nehemiah uh, built a very big chamber. Very big chamber. You can check that in chapter 13 and verse 5. Let's now touch a little bit of the Malachi that we read today and I'll trust God to help us to continue next week. Malachi 3. You remember that was where we took our lesson from. Now this, this, this portion of the scripture represents one of the most quoted in terms of paying tight. Very, very Seriously quoted. And why is it that it is quoted more than these other ones that I've been showing you since morning? Because in that one there was something that we like very much. I will rebuke this brother for your sake. I will do this for you. I will do that. That's why we quote that one very much. So even if you manage and bring out the 10%, you now start telling God, see what you said though. See what you said. I don't blame you. I said the same thing myself. I used to say it many years back. Lord, see, oh, see the tithe I'm giving you. No devourer should come near my place. Oh. See all the things you have said you do for me, Malachi. Please, please, please. Kita, kita, kita. But after a while, I recognize that I don't have to talk like that to God. You see, God is a person of principle. If he says, I will do this, he's already done. Ordinary UPS will tell you, consider it done. Just give them your parcel, consider it delivered. When God says something, the Bible says, He's watching over His word to perform. 
So I realized that I didn't have to be shouting and screaming because I'm giving him 10%. Do you know that there are Christians that give 80%? And even the 90 that you have kept, do you know your motive is not even your own? Do you know that we are stewards of grace? Stewards of the money that has come into your hand? Stewards of our time? Stewards of what I say? Stewards of the period that I have good health? I'm a steward. That's just all that I am. And I'm going to give an account for each of them. And I want you to understand that properly. Some people will give 10% and I'll say, no, this 90, what do you want me to do with it? Am I permitted to, what do you want me to do for you with it? And it is out of that 90, you will still give your offering. So sometimes you manage and give 10% and your shoulder is going like that. You give 10%. You have heard of the man that wrote the book that called The Purpose Driven Life. I think his name is Derek Warren. Yes. That man, the millions that that book brought to him, when I was reading about him some time ago, I read that he did not allow any, any recognizable, identifiable change to his lifestyle on account of the money that came. He didn't. Not, not, nothing much. The money is just putting it in different places. And I'm looking at men in our generation. We're talking about Jacob and Abel now. We're talking of people in our generation. God chose to prosper him. God gave him that wisdom. He wrote that book. He went all over the world, touched life and brought in millions. His lifestyle didn't change. If it were me, all of you in this church will know that something has happened. I'll probably move out of my house, build a bigger one, buy bigger cars. I mean, if you're my friend, I'll just be dashing money anyhow. But nothing, nothing. He just remained a humble person using the money that God brought in the service of God. Praise the Lord. So, in that Malachi scripture, it was a very appropriate description again of the things that had happened before. If you go back and read from chapter 1. We begin to see again a period of rebellion. A period of falling away from God and the prophet came. And actually Malachi means my messenger. And the message began to come. The message began to come. Even the priest, everybody they were doing what they wanted. And God now said, see what you're even saying. You know when I was reading some of that scripture, I was, I was afraid. So we're even saying... After, after this title, so not, the, the remnant that we are trusting God, we are now saying, even us that we have been faithful, even us that we have followed you, God, what is this our life like? What have we even gained? Are you asking that question? And God began to speak. And consolation came for me in what God was saying to them. Because sometimes as a Christian, you come to that point too. Hey, Lord, the tithes have been faithful. This one has been faithful. But, hey, so what is this my life about? What is this my life about? And God began to show them that he has a plan, an incredible plan, a beautiful plan for them. So I wanted us to also look. We're looking at, remember, love and obedience and what? Trust. We're going to continue from there. But I also want us to see that this book contains diverse messages, warnings and chronicles of the people's sinful ways. That is the Malachi scripture. And there are two issues that I want us to look at there and we'll be praying. Who shall stand in the day of his coming? That was one of the questions the Lord asked in that place. And then God said he's going to sit down as a refiner and begin to refine and purify as silver and gold. Why? Why was he doing all that? For the sole purpose of making an offering unto the Lord. And the Bible says an offering in righteousness. And verse 4 says, Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. 
And I began to see that God is seeking not your money, but a pleasant offering from us. And you know that the primary offering that God is seeking is myself and yourself. You know, somebody said something here a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if we really appreciate what God is doing for us in this church and in this quarter that we have been looking at this. I don't know if we are recognizing my title. I don't know if we are recognizing what the Lord is doing. But you know that brother said, by the time you come out and you are quoting scriptures and quoting scriptures and quoting scriptures, they make, yes, I know this scripture. I know it, I know it, I know it. You, hey, you, what's the identity? And we're wondering why the word of God doesn't work for us. So it's not about that you rush home now and say, that sister that talked today, where is my money? Because she said, God, I don't want God's trouble. But that time he sent it here and bring it. He wants your life. Put your bite here. Make it the 80% first. He will primarily look to see who brought this offering. And if your life is polluted, you'll be polluting the offering bag. And God will not be pleased with that. So even as we look at this, we're looking at love and obedience and truth. What is my love for God like? Am I ready to obey Him in everything, including sight? Some people don't want you to mention sight. It's an Old Testament thing. Is it really? Next week, by God's grace, I will show you what Jesus Himself said about sight. It's not an Old Testament thing at all. If it's Old Testament, I'm not going to tithe. Why am I claiming Abraham's blessing? Is Abraham not an Old Testament man? Why? Why am I calling God of Abraham and Isaac and Egypt? Come and do this and that for me. Eh, the God of Elijah, the people that pray fire, come and bring fire. Fire was in Old Testament. But we take the ones we want. Very selective in our relationship with God. Very, 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 very selective. Do you really think that you should not give offering and your tithe conscientiously? I'm going to end with the scripture in Matthew 6, 21. And it says, Jesus was speaking and said, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your treasure? Where is your heart? What is it that matters the most to you? You know, many times I ask myself that question. What is it that matters the most to me? Have I come to the point where God matters to me? above all things? Have I really come to that point where when nobody is looking in my heart, I know that God matters the most to me. And so my heart will pour out in love and affection for him. Who said to us this morning, even if your mother should forget you, he will remember you. Why? Because his love is unfailing. His love is unfailing. Is your own unfailing? Your own is dependent on the things he will do for you? Because you will rebuke it. Do you know that when you really become a child of God, you will give fight as a sacrifice, as an act of your love for God, and not even be fighting him about um, what is that thing now? Rebuking the devourer and this and that and that. Because if I am still at the level where I'm giving fight to God, because He's going to rebuke the devourer for me, that means if He removes the rebuke of the devourer, I will give no tight. That's what it means. So even my tight is conditional on what He's going to do for me. Can you bow your head and begin to pray? Ask the Lord to show you yourself. If you are here and you haven't understood what Titan means, if you are here and you haven't even understood that it is primarily your life God is interested in, imagine God that said that His love for me is unfailing. As I was looking at the song, I got so excited. His love for me is unfailing. Check your love for Him. Check your own life. 
Have you even taken the first step of giving in your life? Have you given in your life at all? Not to talk of coming to the point of having or feeling love for him, the kind that he has for us. Check your life. If you're a tither here, thank God for you. Ask God, God, why do I give you tithe? Is it so that you remove this vow for my sake? Is it so that you open the stores of heaven and fill my house with abundance? Is that why I'm giving tithe? If that is your reason, my sister and my brother, you're giving tithe for the wrong reason. Yes, you might tell me God put it there. I know he did. But it was not so that that would be your focus. That would be your major reason for giving him anything. Ask God this morning to help you. To help you come to a point of understanding. And if you're here this morning and you really have not surrendered your life to Christ, then you don't even qualify. Please don't bring your tithe here so that you will not pollute the tithe of the people, children of God. Give your life to Him first. That is the starting point for you. I will pledge my allegiance to the Lamb. God so loved the world, and the only way to demonstrate that love was that He gave. He gave His best, He gave His most. And our appreciation of God is in love, we give. The most important thing to give is your life. If you are here this morning, and you have not yet found it easy to respond to God out of love. Stiff-necked, hard-necked people, hardness of heart, the Spirit of God is telling you, give your life, give your heart. You want to have that peace of communion with God. I pray God we are all children of the household. And you are about your tithing. And you are about your giving. And you are about your offering. It's your allegiance to Him. If you are there and you have been struggling. A student, how can I give 10% of my pocket money? An applicant, how can I give 10% of my maintenance money? A retiree, how can I give 10% of the peanuts I get even as a pensioner? A working person, how can I give 10% when I'm not yet sure whether a salary will come on time? You've been struggling. I plead my allegiance to the Lord. That's what he's saying. A surrendered heart. A surrendered life. And that's what he's asking of you. And all he's asking for, clearly from us, in Malachi 3 verse 4, Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant, be acceptable, be delightful unto the Lord, as in the days of old, and as in former years. Verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob, who realized a covenant with God, are not consumed. That's God speaking to you. Can you tell him, Father, I resolve every other doubt. Why I've been shortchanging myself and why I have been detracting from your pleasure in my life. And why I have not understood that it is out of a heart of love. That all I have, power, majesty, glory, wealth, riches, life, they come from you. And that out of love you demonstrated giving. Out of love you want to see how much I demonstrate giving back to you. Can you tell the Lord today 
I need no other argument. I need no other plea. I need no other allegiance. I need no other calculation of all the things that money will need. I just want to express my love and appreciation for you and obey you and harvest the benefits of obeying you because they are there. And Father in heaven, we therefore pray as we have listened to your word, cause that all our lives are lived in pleasant offering to you in the name of Jesus Christ. That every life here, O oh God, before we even bring our tithe, our offering, our vow, will be a sweet smelling server unto you and represent you. Lord, that as you look into our lives, give us the respondent, you can see a life where your word and your mercy flows freely without anything that is blocking it in form of iniquity, stiff nakedness, or hardness of heart in the name of Jesus Christ. Remove our rebellion. And Father, we totally bow in obedience to you. And as we say, God, this morning, Lord, may we offer our lives a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to you, which is our reasonable sacrifice, which is our reasonable worship. And Father, as we offer unto you every other, may it be pleasant unto you, accepted, demanded of favor and honor to you, like that of Ebal in the name of Jesus Christ. May you smile, and may you approve, and may you be delighted in our lives, and giving, and offering, and tithing, like that of Ebal in the name of Jesus Christ. And may we be speaking, even through the things we bring in our lives to give. And Father, open our hearts and our understanding, our joy to know no bound. And as we freely give, may we see you do the miracle of not only multiplying and refilling, but also King of glory, making our constancy of supply never to lack in the name of Jesus. May we witness that miracle in the name of Jesus Christ. May everyone here, living in the hard times in which we are, and with the value of money and goods has fallen so low, witness your blessing in such a dimension that we can say the Lord is true and faithful to his word in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone who has found it difficult all this while, Lord, today, make a way again. Make an understanding again. Make knowledge available again. And make a willingness and a yieldedness. And know the results in obedience. Follow. Give us testimonies, O God, of our life pleasing to you, and of our lives full of blessing, that there is no room to fill it. That's your word. And so we pray, O God, in Jesus' name we pray. Put our hands together for Jesus. Praise the Lord.